0: Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So, Say, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my, my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with Great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open up your word to us. We have read it, but for it to make any sort of sense in our heads and for it to affect anything that we do in our lives, you're going to have to show up. It is going to have to be something that you do in us, Father, and so that's what we pray for. We pray that you would show up. We know that you will. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> um, I used to characterize like, how well my relationship was doing um, by the quantity of fights that we had. And I had just this, uh, this three-strike rule. And it was, I used strikes as fights. So any time anytime we had three fights, I was like, all right, you know, it's pretty much over at this point. Um, if you wanted to fight and, and be that way, that was totally fine. But after three of them, we're going to be done. Um, but it, it, that, that usually caused more fighting, like if I said that. So um, I would just say, well, now what? I guess, I guess that's it. You know. And, and that would be just a terrible fight in and all of itself. But um, I did this because of my very first girlfriend, Hillary. Um, it was in the fifth grade. Uh, after, th- after three fights, essentially... Uh, she broke up with me over AOL Instant Messenger. Anybody have that? AIM? No? Well, I guess I was the only one. Um, I still have an AOL account, by the way. But, uh, but she said in the message, too, like she even mentioned it. She said, um, you don't give me a hug in the morning. You don't hold my hand at lunch. And you don't walk me to class like Stuart does. Um, and then she even wrote, and because of these three things, I don't think I like you anymore. I, like, I think I like Stuart. Stuart. <clears throat> and uh, my thought was, well, maybe if you weren't being walked by Stuart, I could walk you to class. But it's been 19 years now. I'm over it. Um, <laughs> but this sort of thinking, this, this three-strike rule, it, it did not fly when I met Leah. Um, I, I remember after like the, maybe the third or fourth fight, I, I said that thing along. Now what? I guess, you know, and I didn't even get through the sentence before Leah like stepped in and she said, now we communicate like grown adults. And I was like, okay. That was when I knew she was the one. Um, I just, I love that woman. Um, But I think that you and I have this mentality uh, in some form or fashion in our relationship with God um, we say things you know, like lightning will strike me if I'm not up to par with God, or I need to do better with my life so that God will be happy with me, or um, if only I could follow God's command so that God might love me. Almost, almost as if we are waiting for God to say, "Well, looks like it's over." And then last week we saw that Abram had the faith to up and leave his home and family in order to follow God's call to a land that. He didn't say where, and, and it's a great faith. It's a, it's a great moment. Um, he becomes like instantly the poster boy for faith. Like what does faith look like? Genesis 12, verse four, um, which is great. And sometimes, man, we, we totally get that. Um, and we see that part of our lives play out pretty well. But um, what, what, what we do is we see that God gave us a whole bunch of faith. And, and then we say like, you know, oh, yeah, I punched the devil in the face today or whatever we want to say. Um, But we felt good about our relationship with God because we were doing awesome. But realistically, life is only like that, like 1% of the time. And that's a generous estimate. Most of the time, God calls us to something and we have a little bit of faith and it goes well for a split second and then we sin. We overeat again. We gossip. We said some really harsh things to our spouse. We lied to our parents. We cheated at at work. We cut corners, and on and on the list could go. But we choose sin. We are the problem. So our question then becomes: Now what? I know that God blesses Abram and his faithfulness to go, but but what about me? What are we supposed to do when, not if, but when, we are unfaithful to God? Unfortunately, our unfaithfulness characterizes way more of our lives than our faithfulness ever does. So what are we supposed to do with that? Now what? From God's word in Genesis 12, we'll see that the answer is to return to faith. We've been unfaithful to God, just like Abram in this story, and we'll see that. um, And we'll see that there are three ways to return to faith. The first is expect suffering. The second is behold God's faithfulness. And the third is literally turn. The first is we expect suffering so that we may not run from God when it comes. We behold God's faithfulness to us despite our unfaithfulness. And we literally turn in our lives and in our faith back to faith and back to God. So, uh, in order to return to faith, We must expect suffering. Look at verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, uh, last week we know that Abram was called out of his homeland, and God's like, hey, I'm going to give you a land. And he says, I'm not telling you where yet. Um, Abram's probably sitting there like, I don't know where I'm supposed to go, but Abram's out in this wilderness, out in this land. Like He just left. He just obeyed God in this huge moment. And now it's a famine. So severe that he's going to have to leave. But he's, I bet he's probably thinking something like, man, I, I just did all this awesome stuff. I went 400 miles, came all the way out here by faith, God, and, and the land you bring me to is in a severe famine. This is the blessing. But remember, we also said that um, the blessing doesn't necessarily mean health, wealth, prosperity. See? <laughs> it took us six verses to get there. <clears throat> um, famine comes, and, and how does Abram respond? Uh, a lot like you and I would. He sins. <laughs> Suffering leads our boy to run and leave the land that God called him to. Now, I think in some sense, uh, I think we can under- understand. Um, like, he doesn't know what the land is yet, so he's, feeling, he's kind of feeling his way through the land, through his... Uh, through all of this wilderness without any special revelation at every step saying, yep, keep going this way, keep going this way. Um, He's kind of just being guided by his circumstances, so we kind of get that. Um, But never once do we see Abram stop to check with God about anything that he's doing. All the indications are that Abram went down to Egypt taking taking into account everything but God. He leaves, he's unfaithful to God, and he goes his own way. He, he deserts his faith in favor of logic. And then he also wraps himself up in a bit of weird deception. Um, look at verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Let you live then Abram straight up tells his wife to sin. Say, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, at first glance, again, I think we can understand his decision and and even sympathize a little bit. Um, Like the Egyptians were at this time coming out of a time of civil unrest and political just craziness and chaos. And so it's not super far off, like his thinking, You know, this story probably actually happened a lot, um, but we have to see it for what it is. It is so much of Abram's lack of faith, of his unfaithfulness to God. He didn't trust God. He didn't trust God to step in and provide in the time of famine. He didn't trust God to step in and protect his family. He takes life into his own hands and says, "Ah, God, I'm going to be my own savior, thanks. I think the worst part, like he gives his wife as a sacrifice for his own life. Like that, that's the plan he came up with. Like, that makes me. Um, but that, like that's how you know God's not involved in the plan is when you have to sacrifice your wife. <clears throat> um, but he gives up his wife that it may go well with himself. Exact opposite of love. Um, and in verse 14, Sarai gets taken. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And remember, like this is exactly what Abram was hoping for. Crazy, but this is what he wanted. For her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had this means that he gave him sheep, oxen, donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels, which were like the Ferrari of the day. but this is, this is what Abram wanted. He got exactly what he wanted. Still hasn't consulted God on any of it. So he has no clue that what he wanted was actually the worst thing for him. But he got it. <clears throat> so Abram experiences the famine, and he runs from God, but why? Like at, the, at the root, at the heart level of it, why? Abram doesn't trust the very God of the famine to take care of him in the famine. He thinks that surely God didn't see this one coming and now he has to fend for himself. He forgets the blessing of of verses one through three that says, I will, I will. Not you, Abram, but I will. But I think this is really good for you and I I to see because it's um, extremely helpful to know that uh, even in the midst of God's call, like we are so faithful and all this stuff, we are not exempt from suffering. In fact, it only took, like, just like we said, it only took six verses to get from faith to the suffering. I think it's safe to say that suffering is to be expected. Uh, fast forward a couple hundred years. God's people end up back in Egypt, and this time it's not looking so good. They're made slaves of the Pharaoh and being forced into all kinds of terrible forms of labor um, and being beaten all along the way. And I actually found some home footage from this time, and I know what you're thinking, that's the Egyptian time, it's crazy. I, I thought so too, um, but it, it is a little old, so uh, the camera made people look a little animated. Last night, the gods granted me a vision. I'm not merely going to restore this temple. I will make it more grand, more splendid <laughs> than any other region. of Egypt. Moses! Look! Fate has turned our little misadventure into a great opportunity. On, man. I know, father will be so pleased with what you doing. Put your back into it. Ah. And this no. is just the beginning. Oh. A gateway will open an entire new city of white limestone, more dazzling than the sun. And here, a statue no. of her. Hurry! Two great column halls. Stop it! Hear him not. Stop it nothing mm-hmm. that we can do stop it stop stop it leave that man alone moses great movie right do you guys remember that prince of egypt the soundtrack is amazing um but this is where god's people are being treated like this and then after this particular scene and and even uh in the bible moses runs away to live in the wilderness where god speaks to moses through a burning bush and says i'm going to rescue my people and i'm going to do it through you through some insane circumstances and plagues, God delivers his people from slavery and Egypt into absolute freedom. And just how do God's people feel about this? Well, in Exodus 14, 11, they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? And then in Numbers, a little bit down the road, they complained some more. <clears throat> Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return. They left slavery, where they were being beaten and killed into freedom. And they want to go back. When suffering comes, it's easy to lose faith and turn back to slavery. This is us. When suffering comes, we get scared and lose faith and we return back to the very sin that enslaved us because that's our nature. We are the Israelites in this story. The only difference is their journey back to slavery would have taken some time and, and some effort. Our journey back to sin usually takes three seconds. Abram lost his brother, his dad. He leaves his home of 75 years. And now the land that God promised to him in his call and blessing is a land that is not flowing with milk and honey, but that's dry and yields nothing but dust. We can expect suffering to come because it has and it will and it always will. Friends may die. Cancer may eat away at our bodies. Our kids may run away. Our job may be taken from us in a second. We may lose our home or our spouse in a fire, but it does not mean that God has left us to die. God saw the famine coming. We expect suffering so that we may not run from God when it comes. We expect suffering so that we may not run from God when it comes. But we do run from God, and we will run from God. So what do we do in that moment? That's number two. Behold God's faithfulness. Take a look at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So one man sins, and an entire nation feels it. Sin affects everyone. Everyone. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. The way that Abram felt about the Egyptians, how they were going to treat him was way off. I mean, Pharaoh was angry, but he wasn't murderous. Abram got his girl back, didn't die. And then in verse 20, And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. He not only gets to leave, he leaves a rich man with his wife. How does this happen? How in the world does this happen? All of this is an act of God's undeserved mercy on Abram. All of this is an act of God's faithfulness. Because notice what just happened. Abram, you were not faithful to your end of the call. You left. You didn't trust me. You lied and made your wife lie. You gave up your wife. You were not faithful. But I am still faithful. I will make this promise come to fruition. And I'm going to have to because you almost gave up the woman. I was going to make the mother of all nations. Despite your unfaithfulness, I will remain faithful. The phone rang. It was late in the afternoon, the day after Christmas. "'I'm coming home from the church office to get you,' Bill said. "'Meet me outside. I'll be right there.' We drove into the church parking lot and came to a stop. My husband of 25 years took my hand and told me that the elders had come to an agreement and they have signed statements charging me with inappropriate, inappropriate behavior and immoral actions. "'Bill, they must be mistaken,' I said. "'Someone is lying about you or somebody didn't understand what he saw.' I looked at him. They are wrong, aren't they? They were not. We drove home in silence. For the next two days, I moved in slow motion. It was hard to speak. Even lifting a fork took effort. I wandered through our home, trying to visualize packing and moving out. I couldn't cope with the thought. At night, I began waking often. I'd try to understand my new situation. I'm married to a man I don't know. I'm not a pastor's wife anymore. When I'd wake up, Bill would get up too and hold me and rub my back while I sobbed, but I writhed at his touch. It made me aware of the unending pain of those, husbands, of those whose husbands leave for the other woman, and I was beyond angry. The next day as we drove, I couldn't help but furiously berate my husband and ask him all about the details. I asked him all who he had been with. Kate? and Rose and Helen. Friends of mine, close friends of mine for years. Helen was as close to me as my sister. I wanted to get out of the car to run, but I couldn't. I threw my empty soda cup at him and took off my rings and threw them at him too. Then I pulled the collar of my sweater up over my face and cried. Over the next six days, I learned of every small detail. Through over two years of counseling and fighting and arguing and redemption and forgiveness and confronting those women and many, many tears, she writes this. On our 28th anniversary, we restarted and renewed our vows to each other in the woods near our home. Officiating were those elders, our local pastor, and the pastor with whom we had been in counseling. I made my gown and bouquet of flowers. Bill gave me a brand new wedding ring. This time the words, for better or for worse, took on a new and deeper meaning. 28 years after we began our marriage, we began again. The elders asked me that fateful fateful day, are you willing to stay with them? And I said, yes. And to this day, I know that it was only by the grace of God that the words even came to my mind because how could I one day face the God who is faithful to me if I cannot do the same? Despite our unfaithfulness, God remains faithful. When you and I sin, we end up in places like this man and like Abram in Egypt and the people around us are being Hurt by our sin, what are we supposed to do? We behold God's faithfulness. We sit and we stare into that truth and we repeat it in our minds over and over again until it sticks because nothing is more amazing than to set our eyes upon something like that. But it's hard. Even reading the story from that woman was hard. And I I know, I can imagine it was hard to hear. That's because we know deep down that our unfaithfulness deserves unfaithfulness back. But despite our unfaithfulness, God remains faithful. God remains faithful to Abram's unfaithfulness. And this does something inside of him. And we see what happens directly after God shows his his faithfulness. Uh, Abram literally turns. If you look at verse 1 of 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. What's he doing? He's going back to where he built an altar for God. He's stepping back into faith. He's returning back to that moment where he originally had faith. Abram is returning to God, literally pulling a 180 from Egypt, going back. And I love how the text describes it. In 1210, it says he goes down into Egypt and really kind of down morally, and then he comes up from Egypt, up back to God and back to a relationship with God. And this is the entire story of God's people. God's people are unfaithful to God in their sin and rebellion. God remains faithful. God shows his people the folly of their sin and reminds them of his faithfulness wherever they go, And then only by his grace, they return. It's the whole story of the Bible. Uh, One day, my little brother Luke, um, he wasn't listening to my dad uh, when he was telling him to stop running and playing in the street. Um, And then a car started coming up over the horizon. And you know, dads, when they get that dad voice, he's like, Luke. And then he starts running over there and he grabs him and, and just for I don't know, probably two or three minutes. You know, I just sat there with him and he was talking. I was from far away, so I don't know all that he said. But um, but you know what happened when my dad finished with his lecture? Luke put his arms up. He just wanted my dad to hold him. This is what Abram is doing right here. You are steadfast and faithful, God. I know you are. Even though my actions showed that I trusted me more than I trusted you, bring me back into a right relationship with you. This is what you and I must do with our unfaithfulness. We behold God's faithfulness despite our actions, and we run back home with tears in our eyes over the grace we know we do not deserve, and we throw our arms up to the Father. We expect suffering. We behold God's faithfulness and we literally turn back to God and we have to because there's nothing more true than the fact that we are sinful people. We're going to have a lot more of this week's message in our lives than last week's message in our lives. But look at the beauty of it. Just as God's blessing to Abram was not gained by his actions, God's blessing to Abram was not lost by his actions. The grace of God cannot depend on us, or either we'll think that we super deserve it, or we sin and we never receive it. Like, this story doesn't make sense, and it shouldn't. It should hurt our heads that, that, I mean, it makes no sense. It, it would make sense to see God, you know, oh, all right, he was unfaithful. I'm going to be unfaithful back. I'm going to turn and or smite you down with lightning or whatever. And it makes sense to see uh, God bless the man who, who stepped out in faith and went. But it's staggering to see that God blesses the man who does something like this. And even, even Abram kind of gets it in a way, uh, because back in verse 13, <clears throat> he was on to something. Despite how terribly he went about it, Abram knew that in order to live, someone was going to have to take his place. Alone, he was not going to live. Abram throws his wife into the place of his death and and he essentially says, it's your life for mine, which is terribly poor marriage leadership on his part. But he's not totally wrong. For you and I, it's going to take someone else in order that it may go well with us and that our lives may be spared for their sake. What Abram doesn't know and what he doesn't see but that we get to see is that someone down Abram's family line is going to take our sin and going to substitute our sin for his righteousness on our behalf going to take the place of sinful humans that our time before God may go well with us and our life may be spared for the sake of his life and this is what is true for us if we are in Jesus when we sit on the seat of judgment we will either bring forward our own lives where we say hey look I sacrificed my wife there or my family or my health or here's all the things that I sacrificed To what do I get I did all these good deeds hey here we go Or, we will be covered by Jesus' life and when God looks at us, He will see nothing but Jesus and will say to us as He did to Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. And for our sake, on the basis of Jesus, God at that moment will deal well with us and give us everything that only Jesus deserves and take away the punishment that we deserve. Our unfaithfulness will be met once and for all with faithfulness. But it is only through faith in Jesus that this happens. So as we sit today, our lives will either look like a continuation of this life in Egypt or we can, like Abram, return to faith. One life leads to eternal separation from God and the other leads to an undeserved completely free doesn't make sense on the basis of someone else for us eternal life and union with the one by whom any of it is possible so uh, we're going to take communion together as a picture of just what that's going to look like one day when we sit at the table with our brothers and sisters knowing that it was nothing that we did, and we raise our glasses and we praise God. So uh, if you have returned to faith in Jesus over and over in your life, you're welcome to the table. But um, if you have not, this Jesus is not your own. Um, And so I ask that you remain in your seat. 1 Corinthians says that you eat and drink judgment on yourself because you are taking part in that which is not yours. This is a family matter. But choose today. I don't know where you are in this process. Maybe you're in the midst of your suffering and sin and you've caused pain to others and you don't feel like you feel, uh, you don't feel like you deserve God's forgiveness. That's why these verses are here. None of us do. Turn today. Believe again today. Maybe you don't know where you stand. You're here for some reason. You don't really know what that is. God's inviting you to be a part of His story with an eternity like this. So as you sit here, just look around the room. This is this what you want forever? If you don't know, but you're thinking about it, uh, thinking about it all, and are worried about that judgment seat one day, be encouraged. Dead people don't worry about that. Uh, for all of us. Let's just do work during this time. Let's really seek the Father during this time. We all have ways in which we can return to faith. Pray and ask for help to do so. And when you're ready, grab the elements, bring them back to your seat, and we'll take them together here in a minute, but take your time. At the end of the day, Abram was attempting to make sure his life went well for himself good news of the gospel is that we do not have to do that. We cannot and we would not be able to anyway, but because of Jesus, it may go well with us. Because of Jesus, our lives may be spared. Because on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.